What's up, everyone? My name is Marcus Blewett, and I am the host of Lift Every Voice, where every voice holds weight. On this episode, I have a young man coming on the show today. He's from Portland, Oregon, first person I ever met from Portland. I would like to welcome John Rojas to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Since I've been knowing you, John, I really find your story interesting. But before I get into all of that, give me a few activities or characteristics of yourself for our audience to get to know a little bit about you. I'm half Japanese and half Dominican. I'm a third year student at Colby Sawyer, health promotion major. I'm a health enthusiast. I, I see myself as that. I run every day. I like dancing. Sometimes I talk a lot. I try to be as animated and lively as possible every day. People know me as a talkative person. So I think you already mentioned it, John, but can you quickly say what is your race and ethnicity again? It's my race and ethnicity. So I was uh, born and raised in, or not born and raised, but I was born in Japan. Okay. Um, Kyushu, Japan, it's the southernmost island. And my mother was born and raised in that same area. But my father, uh, he was born in Dominican Republic. He uh, moved to New York, New York City, um, when he was in middle school, okay. around that age. So you was living in Japan for how long before you came to the States? Uh, for about eight years. Eight years. Yep. How, how was the first eight years of your life? My, my personal childhood was a lot of fun. I lived not only in the city, but also uh, I spent a lot of time in my grandparents' place. And they lived in the countryside. So we would go into the woods. We would, you know, we would go to local areas and just be outside a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'd say I had a lot of fun, but also had its downsides too. For me, not being in Japan, uh, never visit, <laughs> what is Japan like? Japan... It's the epitome of a hybrid culture. By that, for me, it like fuses the future and the past like together and then makes this like weird juxtapose like present, if, if that makes sense. Like for example, prime example, in, where my grandparents live in the countryside, super countryside, rice farms everywhere, right? You're in there and you picture people farming and people doing the very like old school traditional things, right? And that's what happens. But... You're walking down the street and you picture yourself in those farms and very rural, you know, area. And then you see like a bullet train, the most futuristic, like scientifically evolved vehicle in the world, right? Lifted up by ma uh, magnets going like 300 miles per hour going through rice farms. That, that when I remember that image, that's Japan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds interesting. It is. <laughs> it really is. It's a trip. What made you leave Japan and go to New York, come to the States? Yeah. Um. So it's not New York. I actually went to Portland. Okay. You Portland, went to Portland first. Yep. Okay. So how that happened was basically my parents. They had my oldest sibling mm -hmm. in New York City. Okay. And then after that, um, the tradition is for the the father to meet the family of the mother, right? So that's a very strict tradition within J Japan. So they went to Japan. And then once they went to Japan, my dad really liked it in Japan. And the plan was to go go visit Japan and go to Portland right away. Okay. But they ended up going there and my dad loved it so much that he wanted to uh, raise my oldest sister there. Then eventually, me, my other sister, and I was born in Japan. Basically, the reason, the main reason why we moved to the states is because of the schooling system. Us being able to have multiple opportunities in the United States, whether it's art, whether it's health, whether it's anything. But in Japan, it's much more linear and strict on where you want to go. So, so why Portland? Why not New York? So my dad, uh, he looked at a bunch of different places, and he noticed he grew up in a third world country. 
And when he moved out, he grew up in the city, New York, New York City, out of all places. And he, uh, I know he wasn't the most um, financially, you know, well-off person. Yeah. So I knew that he understood the the power of like a, a surrounding with a lot of vices. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if if you're surrounded by success, you'll be successful. If you're surrounded by like drugs and violence, it's much easier to fall into that. And my dad, from my perspective, my dad knew that concept and then picked out Portland, right? Because Portland is is one of the whitest cities in America um, and also a very diverse socioeconomically. But I say diverse, but at the end of the day, a lot of rich people are in Portland and it's very expensive to live there. The rent's going up. A lot of people want to go there and it's... It's a beautiful place to live and the school system is amazing. Like all the like in Portland, public schools are the place to go. Like it's not um, you know, it's, what makes them so different from being in Japan? What's the comparison like? The comparison is this is the main comparison. So in Japan, getting into a high school or the specific high school you want to go to, yeah. You have to go through a lot of testing and a lot of exams and people fail multiple times just to get into a high school. Here in the States, it's pretty much you go to high school. That's that's like a rule of thumb, given, right? right? It's a yeah. given. Um, in Japan, a lot of people don't go to high school. And if they do, they're pretty much set up for a lot of stress that they're about to go through. Not only that, but afterwards, they go through the whole process of getting into college. Um, and it's the process is so grueling and like i have a cousin who's a year younger mm-hmm. in japan and she, it's funny like she looks up to me of what i'm doing because i'm not only did i went through elementary school middle school high school i made it to college to her that's like that means i'm putting in a lot of work right yeah but i don't want to break it to her but she's doing a bajillion times more work than i have in my whole uh, school and educational career. Being half Japanese and yeah. half Dominican, being a biracial kid, how was the transition for you going to Portland, Oregon? It's it's actually, it was pretty much a, a roller coaster for me. Because one thing in Japan, when I talked about there were some negatives, um, yeah. it was, I was bullied. I was definitely bullied because um, I was like one of two uh, foreigners, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy because I'm not a foreigner. Yeah, I was born in Japan, right? Um, I was called a, a gaijin in Japanese, and that's foreigner. And like they would tell me I'm a gaijin, but it's like, no, I'm the same as you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like my skin is a little darker, yeah. my eyes are a little bigger, right? Yeah. So I had a rough time with like certain bullying things in Japan. And then when I came to Portland, a lot of people accepted me because the classrooms were much more diverse. Yeah, it was mostly white um, because Portland's a pr- predominantly white um, city. It was a lot more diverse than it was in Japan. And that that made me a little confused. Not only was I not used to white people, I wasn't used to black people, other Asian people like Chinese people, Vietnamese people, also uh, not used to like Middle Eastern people, but they were all in my classroom. And I was like, wow, this is very, very different from right. what I'm used to. Not only that, uh, the language aspect. I didn't know any English when I moved here. I was very, very, very quiet. And I was in English second language up to um, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Out of all that, the language, besides the language, there's a lot of culture shock for me, The which is one, the diversity, and two, the manners. In Japan, manners are a huge thing. Okay. And uh, here, 
I don't think people had manners at all when I came to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it was so surprising to me. Um, one of the things in Japan, if you go to another person's house, if it's a friend's house, even if it's a best friend's house, if it's your grandparents' house, if it's anyone's other house, you respect the house like crazy and you say no to everything. Mm -hmm. um, if they say, uh, would you like to eat this? Would you like to drink this? You say no. Like, yeah. And then maybe the third time they ask, okay, sure, I'll right. take that. It's a little thing, right? It's like, it seems unnecessary, but that's just how it is in Japan. Um, here, I remember um, going to a friend's house for the first time and they were like, uh, are you hungry? And I said, no. And they're like, okay, well, if you get hungry, help yourself to anything in the fridge. That, <laughs> that was what, that was like, what? Are you kidding? You're telling me like a young kid who can eat a lot, mm -hmm. like to raid your fridge. To me, that it, it was like just crazy to me. And yeah. like that was a like a huge culture, culture shock. shock. Yeah. yeah. At what point did you start to become comfortable within yourself and around your peers? Like later on in middle school. Mm -hmm. I think it was much easier for me um, than my sisters. My sisters had a very, very rough time because they already developed their fundamental habits and personality because um, my oldest sister came when she was a freshman in high school okay so she was around yeah. what 14 years yeah. old yeah. okay and, and you was how old i came when i was eight years old eight years old okay and that was much easier i think and because not only learning the language you can pick up a lot of things at that age mm -hmm. but also just transitioning into new environments yeah you're very adaptable at that age i don't know if you can notice but you can't really tell i have an accent right yeah I sometimes it. i mess up here and there but like you know i got rid of that really quickly whereas my sisters you can tell they they they're well versed in their lang in both languages they have a lot lot of you know very intense high vocabulary words but they have they still struggle yeah but, um, me i can just talk normally you know and quick but yeah it took a while though at the same time uh, at what point did you feel like you was comfortable like what made you feel okay mm -hmm. i'm blending in with everyone else or i'm at the point where i'm okay with being here in a new city mm -hmm. and adjusting to everything you said it was in high school but right. like what high school experience made mm -hmm. you feel comfortable and that you belong in portland with everyone else it, that's a that's an interesting question because i was able to put up a front that made myself fit in. I think I got comfortable with the image that I created for myself to fit in. Which was? Which was um, be rebellious. Okay. Be the classic American <laughs> boy getting out there, taking risks. That was all a front, honestly, because I'm a, a very shy, timid guy inside, I think. Yeah, I think, I really think in high school I developed this I don't want to say a fake side because it's definitely a side of me that, you know, lasted throughout all of high school. I became talkative. I learned how to become talkative, but forcing it. But yeah, it was around high school when like I finally became comfortable talking in class, like speaking up in class. How was your grades in elementary school, middle school and high school? Because, you know, you talk about leaving the Japan school. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why you left Japan was because of the schooling system. Right. So how well did you do in school when you came to the States? Yeah, actually, this is a this is a topic that I, I've spoken with a lot of people, especially in high school. A lot of Eastern Asians, especially if they're first um, first generation, meaning like they're the first to come. Uh, second generation is like if your parents came and a lot of Eastern cultures like Asia, Vietnam, it's the schools are like you're working. 
very hard. Um, so both my sisters had all A's, like, you know, still to this day, they don't know what a C is, you know. Um, me, on the other hand, I think I got acclimated much more uh, culturally. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lost in touch with that Japanese mindset of schooling. I think if I came at a later age, I would have all A's as well because I would like know how to just suck it up and just keep on working to get that grade. But um, since I came at a younger age and I befriended uh, friends that, you know, when I was eight years old of these people who had a very American mindset about school, you know, have fun. School is fun. You know, uh, grades, whatever, like it's okay. At the end of the day, you're there to have fun. So my grades, it started off like that where I was like constantly striving for A's because, you know, in Japan, like I, I felt that I had a standard to meet, um, not only for my parents, but for my, um, my sisters, because mm -hmm. they, they set the bar very high. They all went, they went to the same schools as I did. Okay. So all the teachers knew me and they're like, Oh, you're, you're John Rojas, you're <laughs> Chizumi and Natalie's, uh, younger brother. So I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> you know? So, but that turned down in high school because I think, that's when I really, like, again, earlier I said, um, I got more comfortable. Yeah. Um, I knew how to, I was became more rebellious. I became more risk-taking. I would lose focus in school and have more focus on the out extracurriculars and stuff because I wanted to be more interactive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I would do things after school that's, you know, not necessarily would be a recipe for success. <laughs> like, you know, but I was surrounded by it. It's at the end of the day, it is a city. Um, there was drugs, there was um, stuff like that. So, like, that's what, you know, I think that's why my grades started going down because of that. Because I got exposed to a lot of things that I wouldn't have been exposed to in Japan. Because Japan is really, really strict on drugs and violence and stuff like that. So, so do you feel that those extracurricular activities <laughs> <laughs> that make you feel more American? Like, did you feel that... Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it did. Why? Yeah. Um, because it was that aspect of um, I became more prideful. You know, I, I like because at, at that point, people knew me as, oh, John, who gets good grades, who uh, can balance all these things, but at the same time know how to like, you know, know how to get down. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And like, I love that. Okay. For me, it was like confidence. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was that's I think. um one of the most prominent characteristics of an American, you know, the classic American is overfilled with confidence and can just bust through any struggle. Right. So for me, that's what I was starting to become. Like, I was like, yes, this is what I want to be. I want to be the guy who, who, uh, work hard, play hard. Right. Yeah. Or like, you know, work your ass off all week and then go crazy on the weekends or like just constant like work 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 and then reward yourself with a lot of vices in the world right yeah. and um that's what i thought i was becoming and mm -hmm. yeah and that's what i ended up being i mean a lot of people would would have that same mindset mm -hmm. would think the same way um other people may say that you know work 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 and play hard yeah or play harder will contribute to your downfall. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into society judgments mm -hmm. and talk about different topics or issues society has 
they they judge you on. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things is is how does society set you up for failure? Mm. Um, in general, I think this society in particular um, sets you up for failure. Failure by saying work as hard as you can for yourself and for the money and for the success for the material things because that's success that's what you want as success Mm -hmm. right and then you get to that point and then you realize your body's breaking down that you can't do anything you can't like you know give love because your body just doesn't keep up anymore you want to work so hard that you forget about yourself and I think that's that's huge. That's how society really like just sets you up like work, 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 work and forget about your health. What would be the perfect situation for you? Because you saying work, work, work and, you know, less play. So what is the perfect balance mm-hmm. of success for you? And what does success mean to you? Yeah, for me, um, success it it's hard. It's 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 interesting. I catch myself thinking that way, like where when I bust my bust my ass every day to get the grades I want and you know get the money I want, I start to like I catch myself. I start looking through Amazon or like you know like the online websites and being like, wow, like if I rock these shoes, I would look so good, and I'd show that I work for my money. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I know that that's not going to give me happiness. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that showing off these things wouldn't give me happiness. They're material things. But it's surprising. I feel like I catch myself doing it constantly. But I think that is, I constantly strive to catch myself. And I think that's the happy medium. um, Because it's so easy to fall into those things, that material side. Yeah, it is kind of easy to get into that. And at a young age, chasing success comes with trying to figure out life, and that comes with stress and other worries. Being a young adult, what would you say are some of the issues you are worried about in your life? A lot of people from my from my Latino background mm-hmm. worry about the recently elected president. Okay, um, and how like the politics are moving. It scared me not be- not because president was elected, but because of the way people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like afterwards, being in this area, New Hampshire, um, Colby Sawyer was a by far predominantly white school. Um, there's a lot. Of Trump supporters here, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I was worried about how people reacted to when I said I was scared. It was interesting when uh, I had many, many conversations. I can more than the fingers on my hands. I could count how many times they said, like, forget about it. It's the president is already elected. Why are you scared? You can't do anything about it. Yeah. For me, it made me worried. It's like that's that's the lack of empathy that America's like is lacking of, that mm-hmm. this society is lacking. At the end of the day, when these people say, Why are you scared? It's they don't think about how I feel about my people, my yeah. family. Even before this election, you know, my father would get stopped at airports because of his skin color like I will get scared because of that I don't think the people who say that who ask me why I'm scared I don't think they understand that empathetic feeling I have with down deep in my heart like I get goosebumps when I see things like that yeah and like how even when I moved here one of uh, a very traumatic incident for me I was bawling was my mother was cuffed up because she didn't have the right visa my first impression of the states was my mother being handcuffed I was terrified. That has become more real, more and more real as 
time progresses because even in Portland, I was in a bus once where me and my sisters were speaking Japanese in the back of the bus and a woman to the side of us was just staring at us. And then it was her stop. She gets up, she looks at us and starts yelling at us, like just screaming, saying that us Chinese people don't belong here, that you take our jobs, you, you are the cause of all of my stress. And all of us were stunned. One, we're not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I've never had such a blatant, like racist action like that upon me. And I was, I was really, I was stunned and both my sisters were stunned as well. And she, she got off the bus and still yelling at us from outside. <laughs> like in my head, I was a little kid. In yeah. my head, I'm like, this is it. I'm dying young. <laughs> I'm done. And like, I was terrified, right? Yeah. And then, so though that the language and the images that have been fed into my mind through those experiences are coming back to reality, especially after this, um, after Trump was elected. Because I see these um, like videos online and yeah. stuff. And it's scaring me. It's like, I know that fear firsthand about like being in front of a bigot or a racist person yelling at you, uh, almost assaulting you. And I'm terrified. Yeah. Like I, like I feel for them. Yeah, I'm that's... empathetic for them. I'm getting goosebumps right now just yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. And it's terrifying. Yeah. So. It's just that they can't relate to stuff. They like can't. That. They really can't. And, and it's unfortunate that it's they can't. It's unfortunate because, mm-hmm. you know, people talk about, everyone gaining knowledge and being mm-hmm. knowledgeable about everything that's going on. Right. But if you've been ignorant to what's going on mm-hmm. to those people, then what knowledge are you getting? Right. You're not getting anything. Mm-hmm. And for you to say that you're scared or you're afraid of what's going to happen in the future right. and for them to not see what's going right. on, it, it shows that they are blind to right. real issues yeah. that's going on. Right. To answer this question, are people wrong or right? For judging people, um, like is are, are are people wrong or realistic for judging people? Because mm. if you see a person that maybe looks suspicious, you're automatically going to make a, a judgment about them. Right. Are you wrong for doing that, or mm. is it a realistic judgment? Yeah, you're right for doing that. Okay, I think that's that's a that's a human thing. It's called implicit bias. All right, where no matter where you grow up from, you're gonna be biased okay everyone is every single human is biased in this world yeah i believe Um, that yeah but i think it's especially wrong if you don't catch yourself like i really believe in like okay you have your instinctual tendencies Mm -hmm. but catch yourself that's that's what makes a man of reason or a woman of reason like we've come this is the 21st century and we're standing upright. We have a brain that's bigger than any any other animal. And we're like, uh, we're humans. We're homo sapiens who can think, who can reason, who can like think critically about these things, right? So why rely on your instincts? And that's prejudice, I feel like. Yeah. Being an like instinctual, like animalistic thing. If you're really human, maybe you have your implicit bias or like, oh, you see a person down the street and you don't trust that person. That's your instinct, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to protect yourself. You want to protect your family. You want to protect your, your domain. Yeah. That's instinct. But think about it for a second. What, like, reflect on yourself. Why am I fearful of this random person on the street? Is it the context? Is it the neighborhood you're in? Is it the skin of the color? And then reflect on it. Like, why is this happening to me? Why has these instinctual tendencies been like built into my brain? And then think about it, reflect on it, write it down on paper. You know what I mean? 
And I think that step is what's missing from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Just like how I'm in tune with my body, yeah. where I listen to my body, I do my best to listen to the things I say and listen to the things I do. And then if it's considered wrong, let me take myself back a few steps and think about it for a second and ask other people and try to educate myself. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think if you're not told to do that, you won't. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because I, I kind of, I, I started to do that myself mm. because I felt a lot of times I was judging people yeah. just off of just them walking, me seeing right. them, mm-hmm. doing whatever. I will automatically make a, a judgment about that person. But as I got older, maybe around 18, 19 years mm-hmm. old, I started to, to think how wrong it was to judge people yeah. when I didn't know their story. Right. I right. didn't I never talked to this person ever in life. I don't know what they went through. I mm-hmm. don't know what they're going through, but I'm judging that person. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was very wrong of me. So now when I see people or I see certain situations happen, I try not to make a judgment yeah. because I don't know what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And when pe- when I hear people making comments mm-hmm. about people or judging them, you know, I I, I have to, I, I bring it in perspective and, and ask them the question, what if that person was going through something? Mm-hmm. Like, what if right. something, it was a divorce going yep. on? What if they was getting abused? What if, you know, they just got you put just out of their know. house, yep. they're homeless? You never really know. And I just try to always remind people to, what if that was you? Mm-hmm. Would you like to be judged? Or would you like to give a fair chance to explain yourself? And I, I really feel like that's a problem in society right now, mm-hmm. is that people don't give... It's a disconnect. Yeah, it's a disconnect. People don't give that their chance to hear someone's story. They automatically judge a person. Mm -hmm. So in society, um, I hear a lot of times about elders that experiences are the best lessons in Mm -hmm. life. You learn a lot from experiences. So what's the best learning experience you have had in life and what did you learn from it? Can I think about it for a second? Yeah. Okay. Um, The best experience is um, so far in my life has been these past two to three years of college in New Hampshire. I'm a person who values every experience as a learning thing, but when it comes to like society on a bigger level and what I talked about earlier about that extra step of mm-hmm. reason, of yeah. reflection, I didn't really come to terms with that until I came to college where I became a little more, there was more freedom. Where there's freedom, there's more like exposure to bad things, yeah. right? And I had to take care of myself. And I realized that after my grades plummeted, I realized that, okay, this is what could happen if I neglect myself. Yeah. Um, if I neglect my health, if I neglect my grades, if I neglect the, the fundamental things that makes me me, things happen around me that's bad. And then I turned myself around, learned not to do that. I'm always take time out of my day to focus on myself um, and how good I'm doing throughout the day and taking care of myself when it comes to not only academically, socially, but also physically. Okay. Yeah. If I didn't come here, if I didn't come into this new London, New Hampshire in the middle of Buffalo, nowhere, (laughs) uh, I don't think I would have gotten that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I would have. I don't know what the other path would have been like. I think I really appreciate the fact that I was able to come out here. Not that I like it here, but it definitely forced me to understand that aspect about myself 
All right. I'm glad you said that, John. Well, that pretty much sums it up for this episode. I want to say thank you for coming through and being a part of Lift Every Voice. Thank you. All right. No problem. If you would like to listen to more episodes of Lift Every Voice, you can go to soundcloud.com slash lift every, the number one voice, and you can find all the episodes of my podcast there. I would like to say thank you for listening to this episode and make sure you stay tuned for more episodes.